Well, hello and welcome to another The Gingerlicious Company Presents. It's the writer's bookshelf, but it's not just any old writer's bookshelf. It is, of course, and you can tell by the intro, the wonderful music provided by your good friend of mine, the one and only Mr. John Spence. It is, of course, another travelling bookshelf. Where have I travelled to? Some of you may already know. I've stayed in Yorkshire, but I've travelled from West Yorkshire into South Yorkshire. I finally made my debut in the fantastic place known as Barnsley. And who have I met up with? The one and only brilliant Stephen Linstead. Stephen, how are we doing? We're fine, thanks David. It's uh, great to have you here in uh, this cradle of civilization. <laughs> It's raining. It is actually raining again. It's raining all over Yorkshire. All we do is Yorkshire, as Yorkshiremen is, is moan. We've had a really warm summer and people have moaned. A little bit of drought. I've travelled down to Barnsley and it's raining, but it hasn't put us off. I'm not going to reveal where we are recording this at the moment. All I'm going to say is I've had a pleasant journey down to Barnsley. Your directions were absolutely fantastic. We met up. I met you in the Cooper Gallery. Absolutely fantastic. A couple of questions to start off with. Possibly tell us why folk or people from surrounding areas should visit Barnsley, in particular the Cooper Gallery. And a fascinating character I've learnt about is Abel Hold. Stephen, why That's should right. people why should people visit Barnsley? Well the the, the Cooper Gallery the thing about Barnsley is we've got we've got a lot of little gems. Uh, here and one of them is the the Cooper Gallery. It's quite eclectic in that you'll you'll find quite a lot of modern work. There's some local work. There's some recent work, but the the heart of it is built around the collection of Samuel Cooper, and uh, the the building is very close to um, the massively impressive town hall, which is in. As you've seen, you've seen, it's in White Portland Stone with a big, very, uh, very imposing tower. Very imposing, like you, and, you said, yes. And it's super easy to find. You don't need a map. You don't need GPS because you've got this great big white stone clock tower standing up in front of you. And you can, and once you get there, you can actually find anywhere in Barnsley. <laughs> is that the epicenter? So, well, well, in your case, except for the Cooper Gallery, but except <laughs> for the Cooper Gallery, it's simply because of all times for my phone to play up. <laughs> I um, would tell the tale there. Stephen, your, your directions are absolutely fantastic. Gets in the car park and absolutely peeing it down, shall we say. And I thought, that, that's, got to, that, that's the town hall, that's the thing. That's the tower, as you said, the, the clock and everything. And I got in there, got your phone number. Let's ring Stephen to say I'm here. Keep that out of the rain. Phone playing up. So I went, hit the road, Jack. A little bit like Ray Charles. <laughs> Asked a random person. And lucky, luckily enough, as on the high street, they did actually speak Barnsley. When I spoke to that person, that lovely gentleman, he spoke Barnsley and he knew exactly where the Cooper Gallery was. <laughs> well, we do. We're, uh, we're, we're very grounded in tradition and our own culture here, but uh, we do have little translators on our phones. <laughs> <laughs> so look around there. There's some fantastic pieces of... Uh, of um, artwork in there from you know some oil paintings as you know going right back through the centuries to more contemporary modern uh, pieces of art a wonderful a wonderful cafe shall we say what just tell us a little bit about Abel Hold 
two cracking yeah. pictures of uh, of, t- of two characters of, of the area, a lady and a gentleman. But what, a little bit more about Abel, Abel Hold? Well, Abel Hold is, is, is probably Barnsley's star artist, or he, or he was. I mean, he, he left us a long time ago. But uh, he was born in 1815 and he died in the 1890s. Uh, but he was... <coughs> He was an artist who also, as a, as a lot of artists do and a lot of artists did uh, back then, he, he, he made his living out of house painting uh, and of painting one or two portraits of not so much the nobility but the gentry perhaps and the minor gentry in, in the town. And, but he still had enough room to paint things that he liked. And back in the... In the 19th century, the town was surrounded by small mining villages, and these were owned by uh, by the local uh, the local gentry, and they the the probably the you know the biggest of their of their halls were all all funded by by mining was 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 a place called Cannon Hall, which was in in Cawthorn. Um, and Cawthorn used to be a little old mining village and from about the 1960s it became where all the people who were successful club turns used to relocate and now you know you can't get a house in Cawthorn full of the money uh, but my great 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 grandfather which is who Abelhold was moved out there because it was cheaper than living in the town centre. Isn't that, the, isn't that the case of many I mean people who are listening to the podcast will know many many places whether it's North Yorkshire South Yorkshire West Yorkshire yeah. of all I mean my, my father-in-law sadly no longer with us born, born in Leeds and fondly used to speak about places like that saying yeah. bloody neck when I, when I were a lad he says I, I won't send me worst enemy there that would be so send me worst enemy there yeah. David and now as you said you, you can't buy a house for Love on yeah. it's well, interesting how things change. So it was, it's interesting. The, yeah. the, the guy is a, is a very talented painter. Yes. Uh, but, you know, he still can't make ends meet. You know, he, when, it, when I say a very talented painter, he exhibited at the Royal Academy 16 times and was wow. never, ever rejected. Uh, but he refused to pay the subscription. Because he said, he said, I'm never going to go down there. We're all in posh folk. You know? like typical Yorkshire is <laughs> yeah. moving. He can't make ends I'll not get my money's worth. That's it. I'm <laughs> stopping here. <laughs> can't make ends so, meet. So most of the, the, the poorer right. areas. So he, well. could, he could have been able to hold RA, but he wasn't. You know, he was. No. A, yeah. So, um, <laughs> but he was um, uh, befriended and sort of mentored a little bit by John Spencer Stanhope, who was one of the pre Raphaelites. Um, and uh, he did a lot of religious paintings but he saw Abel's talent and he encouraged him and he also encouraged the family to encourage him so when he moved to uh, to Cawthorn he was living on the edge of the uh, part of the estate and uh, and he, he said to the estate manager he said if he, if he ever gets into dire straits he said you look after him and give him some uh, mm-hmm. some financial support and Abel wouldn't hear of it he said, he said absolutely not he said I'm not I'm not living off charity for nobody he said, so uh, he got um, 
he, but he came to a deal with the estate manager and he said that every any time he did get short of money, he would create a little painting for him so that he would actually be, be selling it, something like that. So what he did, and somewhere, I, I think, probably in the, in the, in the bowels of the, of, the, of the cellars or the attics of, of, of Cannon Hall, a, there was a series of little paintings of a starving man. There's a different starving man every time. So the Starving Fun. Man series Brilliant. Brilliant. Is, one of, is this mysterious missing uh, gem. But, but he never asked for out for note. Just like a you know, a a typical, good old all these fantastic Yorkshire traits are coming out now. Absolutely. And I think one of the best ones, the, the one that I really love actually about him, it, the, the two, uh, probably the star paintings in the, in, in the gallery, a part of the collection, are two portraits. Uh, one's called Peggy Airy, and the other one uh, is called Watter Joe. And, and Watter Joe, before the uh, in, in the 1860s when they brought uh, uh, they, they, they raised the standards of, uh, of, of public provision of water services mm -hmm. um, then uh, Water Joe used to get the water from the, from the pumps and, and he used to deliver it around in his, in his cans but he, he delivered water and he made his living from water he, as a consumer he wasn't that fond of water shall we say uh, so he, he's got this little brown glass in his in his hand. <laughs> he's a fantastic. I mean, there might be people listening that have already seen the, the the paintings we are discussing, but I think we both agree the the facial the, the um, efforts probably to see what you were saying as well, Stephen. Efforts going into the faces in the hands, and in particular the picture of the lady, and the picture certainly paints. A thousand words, really, isn't it? You know, it's just I, I, so I, much, quite, so intriguing. You know, what's yeah. going on? And I found them quite, quite amazing. But I think there's two reasons, really. One is the that he tells the whole story of the painting through the face and the hands, and yes, the rest definitely. of it, he just he de-emphasizes. Mm. He'll bring out little detail, but basically, there's that the the face and the hands just really glow mm. out of that definitely. that painting. Um, and it does, a, it does a similar thing with Water Joe, but it's so it, 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 I think it's a, the lady, the, the, it's a little less, like, I think, transcendent than yes. Peggy Airy. But the, but the other thing is that these were both poor people. These were both poor folk. And these are big oil paintings in substantial frames. And there is absolutely no way that either of these people could ever have afforded a painting to be done, or even a drawing to be done of them. So these paintings matter. This, these are two paintings that the, that the artist did because he cared, not just about them as people, but about the working class mm -hmm. as a whole. These are, these are political paintings, but without, without being political, the more you look at them, the more you can read into this. Yes. How incongruous it is that these two now quite old uh, people who are painted without any pit sense of pity, no sort of picture of them as being, you know, particularly in po poverty. Um, look at just sitting there with his, his glass of beer, as he's happy a, as Larry. He's, a, he's had a really tough life, and he is. He's, he's, he's got a smile on his face, yes. and a twinkle in his <laughs> eye, and, and, and Peggy Airy as she's probably just been telling fortunes for the uh, yeah. for the local domestics. That was one of the things she used to go around. 
to do to make a, f- a few bob. But she's got a lovely, kindly, smiling yeah. face. And the detail in nails as well. You know, yeah, the, the, yeah. The, as you, as you the, pointed out to me, that again, I've seen this many, many times. I've never noticed that. And that's the thing I noticed on the, on the yeah. thumbnail. Just uh, the lady telling so much, and then the the, the dirty fingernail. Yes, yeah. which yeah. reinforces the the working class of of obviously being, well. Yeah, that's, that's right. So I, I, th- I think these are, yeah, I mean, the great paintings to look at, you get a lot of enjoyment uh, out of them, but they're also political statements. Mm. These, are, these are not neutral, they're not decorative. They're, he's making a statement about his view of humanity and how these, these people you know, actually deserve that attention. Mm-hmm. And um, the... Uh, Round about that, you know the same sort of time in the sort of eighteen forties, eighteen sixties, there were a number of working class writers that the um, that the pre-Raphaelites sort of picked up, and they encouraged. One of them, uh, as we mentioned in the Black Snow Roadshow, which we might talk about later, mm-hmm. uh, was a, a guy called Joseph Skipsey, who was the original Pitman poet, and he taught himself to read by the light of his pit lamp when he was a child trapper. Just amazing stories, aren't they? Yeah. Education nowadays, and it's it's the yeah. doorstep and, and, is there. And, and he, he went on. He, he he published quite a few a few poems, quite mm. quite a lot of books of poems, but um, he got. They, they found him a job in a library because they thought he shouldn't be a miner. You know, so he, he, the, the the people who who recognised his literary talents, they found him a job in a in a library, and they got fired for reading. What does me? No, I want you to check. You want cannot to write a script. Yeah, can no, you? Right, you know, I want to check a book out. No, you can't. I'm reading. <laughs> We're laughing. It, it, when you said that, it just conjures up a carry on film for me. Well, it does, it and really it gets, does. And it gets better. So they, 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 he, so he went back down the pit. They dragged him out of the pit again and they said, Look, we've got a job for you here. You can be curator of the Shakespeare's birthplace right. in, in, in Warwickshire. He said, oh, I know a bit about Shakespeare. So I'll, 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 I'll do that. He was a Geordie. So he went down there and he said, how's, how's the job going? And he says, it's, it's terrible. He said, they know nothing about Shakespeare. He said, and it's all completely fake. So he resigned. <laughs> so he's dragged himself up from being a child, child trapper to the manager of Shakespeare's birth, birthplace. And but, he, but whatever, he will not stand for rubbish. He will not stand for fakery. It's and just fantastic. It's fantastic. And like you say, such a, a, a time when, when obviously, predominantly a class system, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, some people argue the case that exists now, which it probably does to a certain extent, but to be dragged like you say, out of the pit and you're in a library. Yeah. It's, it's, no, you're not. What you're reading, told off and sacked for reading, and then Shakespeare. You know the the the, the big figure that is William Shakespeare, and that's rubbish. And he said, "No, you can't. I, I know more about Shakespeare than this lot." You literally, you cannot, you cannot write the story, can you? Brilliant stuff. So a couple of brilliant stories there, Stephen, and a couple of reasons. Come along to Barnsley, get yourself to the. Cooper Gallery. I'm sure you can Google it or look online. There's many, many sites now you can have a look. And in particular, if anybody doesn't know about the uh, the artist Abel Hold, you can have a little yeah, bit of a research on that food for thought. Let's move on because we now, you, you did mention the Black Snow Roadshow. 
You recently told me, maybe a few weeks ago, we've been in, we've been in contacts, exchanging messages. A couple of years ago, we but we first met through viral verses, which people know about. Brilliant, brought a lot of lot of us together. And we've been talking about your friend of mine, the one and only Mr. Brian Ledyard. But that's we're not going to talk about Brian today. He's, he's a, a wonderful man, but he's brought us all together. You've been back to, to York or the Guild Hall in York where we launched or you launched the, the Viral Versus. It was delayed due to certain circumstances, but we eventually launched it. You've been back. Tell us, just yeah. give us another brief outline of the Black Snow Roadshow and was it as good second time round? You told me this sound system was brilliant. It sounded good at the well, Guild Hall. Well, the, 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 the Guild Hall is, um, is really a fabulous restoration. Mm of a medieval building and there were it, it had been unused for me, for many years uh, there were various problems of uh, of safety and I think water penetration because it's right by uh, the river but if anybody does know York then um, there's a, a little square in the centre of, uh, of York where um, the mansion house is there's a mansion house at one end there's Betty's at the other and there's the Ivy Restaurant is a very popular area for buskers in the mm. in the city as well, and the, the there's a little alleyway by the side of the mansion house, and if you go down there, the the guild hall is at the at the back of it. So uh, it's it's not somewhere that you would stumble across by accident, but it does have a cafe for people to go in and have a look at the at the restoration. It's just absolutely it really gorgeous. was superb. You know, back when we. Well, obviously you launched in many many of us there in, in part of the uh, of the performance and production. A fantastic yeah. place. Well, when, to, when we uh, were there, we we were we were so impressed with it that um, I thought I would I would like uh, to be able to try and get the the Black Snow Roadshow there and do a sort of full musical uh, performance uh, there. And we got the opportunity uh, last week. Thanks to the Economic and Social Research Council, I, I, I really must uh, must thank a great deal. Um, the ESRC are trying to find ways of getting the results of social science research out to the general public uh, in as many different ways as uh, as they possibly can. So what we talked to them about about the roadshow, they knew it existed, and it, it's not cheap to stage but they said yeah we would we'd, we'd like to do this we'd like to bring uh members of the public in and we think that they, mm -hmm. they, they'd enjoy it so um <clears throat> suppose i should tell the, the listeners what the show is um back in um 2016 there was a an initiative to create a memorial to what was effectively a forgotten mining disaster it was it was not entirely forgotten but but really it fade it faded from uh public awareness uh, really very quickly and it it took place in 1866 and when we looked back in the archives at <coughs> you know the 100th anniversary in <coughs> 1966 there was nothing that nothing happened to commemorate it it was a it, it was a very it was a bad time because they were uh, for the industry but there's also Aberfan and uh, it was 
but no, nobody did. There was a there was a little editorial in the local paper that said, "What a pity that we haven't commemorated this better." And um, the the NUM in in whose uh, building we are at the moment, uh, and a group of volunteers of ex miners called People in Mining, uh, decided they would try and raise some money uh, to make a memorial. And they uh, they asked the sculptor uh, Graham Ibison, who who will be well known. Actually, in fact, probably most people in this country know some of his work mm-hmm. uh, because one one of the things that he does is figures of uh, sort of celebrities, <coughs> and <coughs> rather than the kind of people that Black Lives Matter wanted to knock down, he do he did sort of Eric Morecambe and uh, and Laurel Everyone and Hardy. knows Eric Morecambe. <coughs> when you meet him, Morecambe is there. And they always, how many people on social media have uh, oh, I've got thought. a selfie. A he's selfie with the, with the uh, statue. He's still, he still must be one of yes. the most selfied scientists. I think so. I think so, so. Uh, so Graham's done over 40 of, uh, uh, of those, but he's also given a lot of his time uh, and money to, um, to creating sculptures uh, that are funded by public subscription. Uh, and uh, he gave his time freely for this one mm-hmm. it was the it was the last big full size sculpture that, that he did these days they can uh, they've got the technology for a sculptor to be able to make a small uh, version that can be uh, yes. d- digitally uh, enhanced and they can make a mold from from that but this you know I, I was privileged enough to actually see him making this thing full wow. size in his own uh, uh, his own workshop and uh, he, he he created this actually it's it's not far from us in fact if you draw a straight line between where we are now and the Cooper Gallery it's sort of smack in the middle right. it's the, 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 the it's a rather wonderful statue so, so Graham g- created this but it was um, you would think of a mining memorial uh has usually been something that was confined to, you know, one pit, one disaster. But back in 1866, this was the worst industrial disaster that anybody had ever seen in the world. Mm-hmm. And it stayed that way until <clears throat> the 20th century. So it's the worst industrial disaster in the world in the 19th century, and nobody knew about it. That was absolutely tragic. You know, these are the sorts of them. It says something about the way that our history gets airbrushed, to, and and we should we should have we should have known about it, but uh, so so there was that there's that story to tell, really of of, of informing people about uh, the disaster. There's there's also the story of of the the remarkable thing where these. The, these ex-miners who'd never re- raised money of this sort of mm-hmm. volume before, and they did it. They raised about there around about one hundred twenty-five thousand pounds in order to be able to get this thing sighted. Uh, and there's also the story of Graham himself, uh, who's basically you know, from a mining town, from a mining family. Um, he's creating his last big masterpiece I mean he's still working but this was you know the last big major piece mm-hmm. that he was going to do um, 
And in the process of doing it, he discovered that one of his uh, relatives had been killed in the Pretty disaster. Right. And he knew nothing about that. So we, <clears throat> we basically were, were... I was just helping out on this project and I'd got some filmmaking skills. So I made them a little trailer uh, to, to help to promote it. And um, <clears throat> the... The volunteers incorporated as a charity and they were able to get some money from the Heritage Lottery Fund who had been a fantastic supporter of the project so that uh, they could create a, a an educational package to go with it. So it wasn't just a matter of people going up and looking at the, uh, at the monument itself. Once you're there there's a QR code that you can scan and you can get access to all the information about, uh, about it. About, who died and when, and the and the backstory of it, and some links to some other things. And one of the things it also links to is uh, an educational film. And we were asked mm -hmm. to make the educational film, and that's called Black Snow. So <coughs> we made the film, and we entered it into. Uh, sorry, I, I I directed it and uh, I co-produced it with Andy Lawrence. Uh, from uh, the uh, uh, a, 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 a company called Filmmaking for Fieldwork, who uh, uh, who are a spin a spin off of the uh, Granada Centre for Visual Anthropology at the University of Manchester, but they uh, they basically help people on on, on projects. They they train mm -hmm. people to uh, uh, to develop uh, their filmmaking skills, anthropological filmmaking. Uh, through to PhD level, but then they, they also offer offer technical expertise to support them to be able to continue that. Uh, so uh, I'd trained there, and, and uh, Andy co-produced with me, and we entered it to, into one or two competitions, and uh, in 2018 we won the uh, uh, the best research film of the year award, and we also won a best film award from the Hollywood International Independent. Uh, Oh, I love smiling at brilliant. I do uh, remember you telling me that, uh, Stephen. Fantastic award. Really I, I can fantastic tell you, the, the, you know, there are there are a lot, a lot, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of the the, the characters from from Barnsley mm -hmm. are uh, are in there. And when I went there, and I and, and I saw, like, I, you know, I couldn't. I, I, I wanted to come all with me, but I could But I couldn't. But still, it was great to see them up on that screen. In Hollywood, yes. after you know all the, oh, the yeah. modest and tireless efforts that they'd been making uh, to make this thing happen, and there, there's definitely a, a, a tear or two in my eye. Uh, so <coughs> when we got this film and, 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 and it was winning awards, and <coughs> in the in the end, with if you count all of the awards and the official selections, uh, the outright wins and the commendations, if you count all those together, we've got eighty-five now. It's not bad, is and it? It's had, not bad, my friend. And we've had, uh, the last count, around about 10 million views and reads. Fantastic. Um, we've been shown on TV 30 times. But it's still not enough. We're, oh, know, we're striving, want, striving for more, Stephen, so, as always. So we still want people to... We, we, yes. Basically, when you've got a 20-minute film, 23-minute film, if it's lovely in a half-hour slot on TV... But it's not good enough to get people to turn out for an evening. So myself mm. and the uh, and the musical director of the film, Jeb Grimes, um, said, "Well, let's let's create a show around it." 
Yes. So around the 20 minute, uh, 20 minute film, we'll set that in the context of the mining life. Uh, and we'll do it with poetry, we'll do it with the readings, we'll do it with, uh, uh, with music, music with songs. With songs. Yes, brilliant. Um, and, uh, and so that's what we do. So we've got what is basically a, a, a 90 minute show now. We, we, we build it, we also add to it a little bit of a, of a director. And Q&A. it works. And, it, and it's working. It's working then, yes. Yeah. And uh, on, the, <clears throat> on Friday last week, we were able, because, because of the, the SRC involvement, we were able to get. Uh, to mount uh, the, the our, our friends from from the NUM brought some uh, uh, some box boards with, which are full of information about my mining history mm-hmm. and they brought they brought some of the awards and the awards that we get we've we've given them to the uh, uh, to the NUM headquarters so that they're on on permanent display here. Um, of course, they don't want to be sitting in my front room, do they? That's I'm in here. I want people to see it. It's going from strength to strength. So brilliant stuff. So I do remember um, obviously you've spoken in, in, in more detail about the Black Snow um, Roadshow or the Black Snow, the old, the old creative force behind it. Brilliant stuff. It can only go from strength to strength. You have got some fantastic poetry, which I know you're going to share with us recently, uh, shortly. But before we do that, let's reveal, just to clear it up, they might have heard the sirens. And I can clearly state now the sirens the police sirens that you just heard about five minutes ago whilst recording you can tell we are live we're down in barnsley we're nothing to do with myself or stephen they've gone past the building that we are in let's just briefly um, <laughs> speak about where we are we you have you have you have gratefully you know you said you're going to bring me here and i probably by the time people are listening to this I've shared. I've been allowed to take a few pictures. I'm sure people will know where it is. We are in the. I hope I get it right. The National Union of Miners, the main building in Barnsley, and I believe one of the first, one of the biggest, one of the one of the the first building of its kind in the UK, or, or to a certain extent in the world. Have I got some of those facts right? Possibly in in the world, it's you know it's it's definitely one of the contenders mm-hmm. uh, for that. I think they started building it around about 1864, and it was basically offices for the uh, for the general secretary and I think probably the the, the, the treasurer or one of the other mm. officers, and there was a, a, a small hall in which they uh, they would gather and, and hold their meetings, and that was just for the um, I think at that that time it was just South Yorkshire, um, and they expanded that in 1874 um, to become most of what it is today and then in 1912 they built this fantastic hall because they'd grown out of the small hall they became they become the yorkshire area of mine workers yorkshire mining was absolutely at its at its peak Mm -hmm. and uh, they, they built this absolutely and it's phenomenal it's got I mean he said David I remember we've got a, a gentleman who has been very kind enough to give me a little bit of That's a miniature tour by the name of Paul it, he's Paul Dallow Paul, Paul yeah, he's off camera he, he's, he's been very very helpful indeed he's left us to it he's not he's not a man of fame and fortune so to speak he didn't want to be on camera or recorded but he's, he's been grat- gratefully showing me around and there's a fantastic stage. It very much reminds me of, of a church, you know, a grand church building, some fantastic stained glass windows, the ceilings, and all, all the different, I've got yeah. all the banners and the flags out there from different pits, and it's just absolutely steeped in history. And where we are sat now, I mean, I'm just in, in the room, I, I've actually got a, a map 
of it, it's an underground underground plan at I'm gonna put my glasses on because I can't make it out it's an underground plan of the Silkstone um, seam and, and it tells us this shows the extent of the underground underground workings in the Silkstone seam at Elskar and new stubbing yeah. collieries well um, I, would, I, I, I can tell you that the it's brilliant that the, 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 the Elskar Elskar is a little village just just outside Barnsley but it's been uh, it was basically the, the the heart of the empire of Earl Fitzwilliam, and it's been re, it's restored. It, it's one of the Barnsley museums now, but right. it's the whole village. It's like an industrial village there, and it's absolutely fabulous. And it's a, it really is a great great day out. But one of the scenes there, that, uh, the Barnsley scene, not the Silkstone mm -hmm. scene, was was so big that they carved out of one piece of the seam. Uh, a, a nine foot obelisk like Cleopatra's needle and wow. delivered it down to the to London uh, to the great exhibition in I think it was in 1861 goodness mate yeah. it's just full of it like I'll be able to say listen to a podcast you can't really appreciate it just with the the, the posters and, and the, the plates the cups all the memorabilia that's just in this room it's phenomenal. We can talk about it, but we just can't really sort of give it. I don't think we do it justice. And I do believe Absolutely. there are various trips. If anybody is listening, I mean, Paul said, you know, school trips yeah. or, or school trips are, are available. And it's, um, I, would, I would say as, as, as well, one thing if, if anybody who's listening is a, is a teacher or who knows any teachers, mm. um, you know, we we can help them to access some of uh, of, of the materials mm. uh, that are available. So if they'd like to contact you, you can pass. Yeah, by, pass by it all on means, to me. contact you know, contact me, and, and I can pass you on to Stephen and, and other people. It's just you know, just looking round, yeah. you, you know, just to my right, there's there's a, like a, a mural to my yeah. right. There's 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 a big banner to the left, and yeah. all the all the placards, and it's just it just sums up. Not, I mean, it's probably fair to say a lot of people may well be may well be thinking of the 1984, 85 strike and Arthur Scargill and, and everything associated there. But it goes right back hundreds of years before it's it, 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 it's, a broad, it's a broader spectrum than that. It's not just about the the minor strikes of the 80s, is it? Just the whole no, it's history about, of, of the community and is, life it's of about, It's about connecting people to, um, you know, what what where the country came came from mm. really to what does it really owe its it, it its riches and maybe you know look at looking back on uh, on it nowadays you think well you know we we made an awful lot of money out of slavery we also made an awful lot of money out of ex exploiting working people mm -hmm. uh, uh, as well so you know there's a, there there is quite a dark history uh, that we have to tell and we have to face up to uh, but as well when you look at it you, you see what those communities did and how they built them, themselves up uh, how they endured uh, how how imaginative they were although they weren't always given uh, credit for that but they in a, in a sense if there's a spirit of the nation you're going to find it in the in these things and we looked at, well just one example if I can sneak, sneak one of course in. you can in, in this very room when we were doing the background research uh, there was a, a book which is the accounts of of the union in 1866 and they met every two weeks and at the end of the meeting they went through the accounts to check and, and sign off the subscriptions that had been paid and 
just before the Oaks disaster, there was um, there was a meeting, and we were just turning over the pe the, the pages, and we when we saw this one, and there was there was an amount by the Oaks, and then we we turned over the, the next page, and the Oaks was listed, and it was zero. And when you know the way the way that that, that hit us, mm. and then we also turned over another page and there were the donations that had come in from other groups of miners around the country and these are poor people and yet within something like three or four days hundreds of pounds were coming in from the village and they'd had time they'd heard about the disaster and they'd collected the money and they'd sent it through from uh, i think wigan is the one to me that stands out but the wigan miners sent a hundred pounds Queen Victoria herself personally sent £500, but I think she could probably afford £500 more easily than the Wigan miners could mm, afford £100. Definitely. It's a, real, it's a real sense of, of uh, community, a sense of well-being, but human nature, human it's, kindness, it's, at it its is, best. It is absolutely at its best. It's this, this caring, the compassion and, and, and the kindness and the willingness not just to sit there and, and not do anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, about it, and I think it's um, you know it, it's something that I, I, I don't think we've entirely lost it. But it's getting a lot more difficult to mm -hmm. to actually yes, actually definitely. exercise it. Definitely, definitely. I say we could finish off with Stephen because I know you've been itching. <laughs> it's always good to catch up. You've given me a wonderful tour of Barnsley. You've been playing around with your mobile phone, although we grumble yeah, at modern yeah. technology. So the youngsters are on the mobiles, but apart from many many things that you do in your life i do know that you write poetry and you've shared some of your poetry and lo and behold thankfully you found some on your phone so please share you can, you can tell us about the poem or just read it out i'll say this one because it's uh, we, we're talking about yorkshire people yes and yorkshire character and this is uh, a poem about a guy called walter greaves have you ever, ever heard of him now, I feel like I should have heard yes, it. Yes, certainly should and, have. And you, I know you're going to okay. remind me. I think it's going to be a school well, day today for Dave. Well, this, well <laughs> back in the 1930s, uh, Walter Greaves uh, set the record for the the greatest number of miles travelled uh, on, a, on a bicycle in a year. Right. Now, there are a number of strange things about, about this. And one of them was that he did it in Yorkshire and he cycled through the winter. Um, oh. the, everybody else that has attempted this record, and certainly, you know, they beat, they, they beat it, did it in places like Australia and they did it on a track. But he, our, did it, boys he did it in the Yorkshire Dales, you know, and kept falling off and getting flu. In, in the nineteen thirty, <laughs> nearly 100 years ago, he's taken me Rob Sarkin, yeah. from Sunny Sills well, down and, and it's been bad enough driving yeah. down. Well, that's right. <laughs> well, and it, and, it, and it gets better because being a Yorkshireman, yes. he, he was <coughs> he was using somebody else's bike. But of course, it, it was. But he had to have it modified <laughs> because he'd only got one arm. <laughs> Do you know, you can't, I've said it. I must have said it six times already. You can't write the script. We've got a guy. We've got. We've got Abelhold sat. Not Abelhold. Sorry. Yeah. Um, another guy whose name is Joseph. We've got sacked for reading in the library. Yeah, Joseph Skipson. Joseph. Yeah. yeah. And then we've got a guy now. Oh, yeah. at one arm. 
Goodness me. Yeah, he, he, he did that. So, so still, and, and forever, he is going to be the man who cycled uh, furthest in a year, having only one arm. Uh, <clears throat> and on Yorkshire roads, because nobody else is going to do it. In the 1930s. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he, he, anyway, he, he, he made, um, he thought he could do better after that. He thought that, it, you know, the bikes were all right, but he thought he could do better. So he, he'd already, he, he went to college with the, you know, the old FE college stuff. Yes, uh, yes. The, 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 when, when you could do that at, at night and still have a job during the day. And he, uh, he became a, <coughs> a, a blacksmith. He was, so, and he made his own bikes. And I can remember when I, was, when I was a kid that there was a guy on our estate that had a Greaves bike. And it was a different shape to, to, to everything else. The frame is very, very different. Uh, and it, it's a, it, you know, it doesn't kind of join at the back. It's a sort of overhanging, like a cantilever thing. Bizarre uh, design. But the people who rode these things thought they were wonderful. Um, he had a, uh, a cafe that he owned, which was uh, up uh, b between Bradford and Shipley. Um, so not far from you, really. Yes, yeah, uh, for sure. I, I might have to do a little bit of research. Yeah. And, and, and just so he wasn't, I mean, and the thing was, he was also a vegetarian. I mean, back in the 1930s. In the was, 1930s, never. Yeah, I mean, pretty much a vegan, really. And and, and just so that people think he, he wasn't getting, he, he was getting a bit too normal being a one-armed blacksmith cyclist, vegan, he, he, he got himself a pet monkey. <laughs> if I did not um, know you as well as I do, Steve, now I think you are pulling my leg now, but and, yeah, I know you're not, I, and, I know you're not. And he also, I mean, he was, but he, he was this kind of Yorkshireman who said, right, right, everything I do is going to be the best or else I'm not doing it's it. It's not worth doing. So he also decided to teach himself concertina. So he's a one-armed concertina player as well. And he wrote his own songs. Yes. And they're really good. They are really good. Um, one of them is called uh, That's What Lloyd George Gave Me about the, um, uh, the pension. And it, it, it's a song that almost everybody would know in a folk club yes and the, the, the chorus is he said he took me out at workhouse and he gave me a life that's free five shillings a week for teaching death cheating death that's what Lloyd George gave me and uh, it's a great tune and everything so um, <clears throat> I read his biography as well I knew any other song so I thought I'd, I'd, I'd try and write a song uh, about <clears throat> about Walter and um, I'm not very good at tunes so I didn't actually it doesn't have a tune. It does, but it's crap. Okay, <laughs> so I'll just read I'm the lyrics, sure and, 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 I'll, and, and I'll, I'll read the probably the verse twice, maybe once. It's uh, it's called Forged from Iron. Oh, sorry, I thought I should have said he lost his arm in a car accident. Uh, his father was driving the car. His father had a a, a bit of a drink problem, and uh, the story goes, and the, nobody's quite sure because. Well, they're just not sure uh, that he, he had his arm taken off by, as he was trying to get out of the car. That's part of the story. Uh, so that's how it starts. Forged for Iron. Drunken father, speeding car, small boy with a fearful heart, tries to clamber free and take a jump. Struggles with a door that's jammed on running board, a rushing tram, one second, and his arm is put a stump. 
Will you lend your voice for Walter? Will you grieve? That shaky hand once made machines help poor men fly through winter's dreams, while t'other arm remained a fluttering sleeve. Oh, you were forged for a iron, Walter grieves. Yorkshire's dales and snow and rain falls, but he rides on through the pain. None would match him as the years went by. The other pros rode in the sun, but the Yorkshire worldy, only one. Cause nobody else were daft enough to try. I could go faster with a better bike. So he worked all day, did college at night, to learn each alloy's secret art, and then he redesigned most every part. So beautiful, it'd break your heart. If I wants it done right, that better do it this end. He opened up a little calf, where bikers and walkers shared a laugh, and a story by the fire with his monkey and the steaming tea. Now Walter's gone, but his song goes on, to the rhythm of his hammer and the clatter of his tongues. You hear him sing, that's what Lloyd George gave me. Will you lend your voice for Walter? Will you grieve? That shaky hand once made machines helped poor men fly through winter's dreams, while t'other arm remained a fluttering sleeve. Oh, you were forged from iron, Walter Greaves. Oh, do you know, I love that one. I love that scene because a wonderful tale, a well, wonderful true story, should I say, behind it, but it's a true Yorkshire Northern story and, and it's it, like fantastic use. <coughs> Excuse me. Fantastic use of, of, of Yorkshire dialect as well, a real... I think people will probably have to connect with that one, don't they? It's typical of a sort of a Yorkshire one to the... It's brilliant, really, of... of um, as you said, force, force from iron, and I think there's only a, probably a crazy auctionman that would probably do that. Absolutely, <laughs> I, I, I think Walter Greaves is, is an act you can't follow. Really. It's possibly, possibly. I've, I've, is there a few more? Is there a few more poems? Or, or um, <coughs> have, have you got maybe one or two more, or at least one more, just to if finish? It, if, it, if, it, if, it, if there's room, that's I think we'll have more. I think you said if you've got one or two more, then that'll, that'll well, this finish one, this, this one is about is about writers basically. Um, it is it is a travelling bookshelf about writing. Yeah. And this, call, this is called, um, <clears throat> this is a bit about people criticising writers for, uh, for, for, for indulging themselves to, too much. And this is a bit of a defence of them. And it's called The Writer's Epitaph. It's not that our dreams were too big, nor too small, or they didn't come true, just a bit, or at all. And we sat disempowered, unable to say we created our vision in our dimming down days. It's not that we failed or we didn't succeed because everything fails in the end, that's agreed. It's that we imagined and tried to create a world that was better than accepting fate and smiling as they piled upon us detritus made turds into pens, into swords. We were writers. <laughs> I, love, I love that one because the thing is, obviously you have to be a writer, whatever, of... of Points, stories, scripts, whatever. To uh, I think appreciate that one, Stephen, and I think you know as well as I do. It's it's really easy, possibly, to critique, but um, I'll leave it there. You, 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 sometimes your dreams don't come true. And you have fantastic visions, and but all art is open to interpretation. Would you say? Well, it does, and sometimes you set off on those <laughs> visions, and you ended up end up creating another one. It wasn't the one that you intended well, to you, do, but it still works. So. Well, you can do it, and we've had a little bit of a conversation this afternoon. But we're having down at the at the cafe myself, uh, and, we, and again we'll be talking about various people, and Brian being being one of them about different 
forms coming together. You know, you've, you've been speaking about filmmaking, we're talking about artwork, we're talking about writing. They do, they do cross over. They do cross over, don't they? You know, they, 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 they do. And uh, I mean, at the Black Snow Roadshow last, uh, last week, I bumped into an, an old friend of mine who I've known since uh, we were at junior school. Mm-hmm. And uh, listeners would probably know him as the good footballer in the film, in the Ken Loach film, Kez. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brian Glover, he's, he's always picking oh, him first. Oh, yes, yes. And uh, he, he's Mike Padgett. And he's just published yes. uh, his, yep, his yep, first yep. novel, which is right. called Scrap, which is, is, is a, I like it because it's about motorbikes. You'll like it because it's about plumbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Mike also is a very, very talented uh, writer who, you know, started off from... Uh, from humble beginnings, yeah. And it is interesting how, how how paths can cross. And like like you say, you might you know, for example, you might have an an idea of of a story, and that might turn into a film or a poem or, or even a song. Or it just I think it's brilliant when when sort of people come together and and like you say, you sort of cross you cross pollinate, don't you? And yeah, it becomes something you possibly didn't expect it to be, but but the idea. It's still there, yeah. Which is good. Let's have the final one. Let's have the final well, point. Well, well, I'll, 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 I'll finish off with the Barnsley one. Well, um, why not? Since we're in the great, in the, 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 the mighty Barnsley place. streets are very much in the poetry news at the moment because uh, Simon Armitage just recently did a, a project, a yes. poetic project on the uh, on the history of a, one of the main streets in Barnsley called Eldon Street, and that came out in September as a as a radio ballad. And I think you'll still find it uh, up on BBC iPlayer. Yeah, you, you're saying. And yes. uh, it's um, yeah, it's one of that uh, that the great the, the modern series of the uh, radio ballads, which was uh, created by John Leonard, <coughs> but um, but basically builds on the the the, the original radio ballads by uh, um, Ewan McCall, uh, Charles Parker, and Peggy Seeger. Uh, so this is uh, <clears throat> one of a, a later one of the additions to that is what Simon's done, and um, this is about about New Street, which is the uh, it's, not, it's not particularly new, uh, but in fact some of it's very old. But it's the street that I walk down when I come from uh, from my house into town. I thought just well, one day I was I was walking down and I thought you pass this every day, you know, try, try and notice it. So I, so I wrote this, this poem about it called New Street Beyond Cine World there's a point of aspiration a spike of hope stretching for its slice of sky to its left a pile of pink Victoriana seems to rest upon its own future a strip of street level charity shops forming its foundations and everywhere spring elbows its way in a junkie shuffles to Morrison's to beg from shoppers with a fresh lightness in his step. A couple in mobility scooters stop to exchange a kiss outside the denture repair shop, just as they did in those smoky years when Atlee made such pallets public property. Two council workers bright in orange overalls silently signal danger, but their caution is casual. A young lad regrets his lack of a classical education when his first tattoo, Mum, in memoriam, gets him a scalped ear roll from a mother who remains aggressively alive. Across the car park, where the burned-down clock tower once commanded Imperius, the sprawling co-op city, 
a pigeon plops a Patovich philosophy on the hubris of a Porsche, then flaps a desultory wing over the vape shop, curving away towards the Paul Priapic gentleman's lounge. Eggs and bacon blend with the Chinese herbalist's mysteries on the raw breeze, whilst vagabonds of scant repair hustle in and out of Wilco's to spruce and polish winter away with all the sad dust of those they lost in the dark. Oh, brilliant. Uh, what a fantastic poem to finish on, Stephen, because I just think it's so much imagery, again, very, again, if you don't mind me saying, very much sort of Yorkshire uh, or, you know, very much of, of your memories and how towns, villages, you know, your own little memories of of everything that's happened. I think it's just listening to that, you know, the burning eggs and the, and the Chinese takeaways and I like the one about the man and just, well, it just brings so much imagery. Brilliant stuff indeed. Great. It's all, all, always a pleasure, David. It is. Well, on a <laughs> final note, Stephen, it is always good to have you here on, on any one of my sort of broadcasts. Thanks for making me so welcome at my, well, bar, bar, I finally come to Barnsley. And I'm glad you mentioned that. Now about you'll the, never leave. And the, but you see, one of my, you mentioned about, about, the, about the fantastic film, Kez, and he's one of my favourite films it's from a young kid first watching it and I've never ever I've had to get into my 50s before I finally come down to uh, to Bowser but I've loved every minute of it so the best of luck with everything you are doing and hopefully let's give him a little teaser because we've been talking about possibly a little bit of an, an event or some, something happening in Barnsley that possibly might involve you and I. And we'll leave it there, Stephen. Let's keep yeah. guessing. Stay tuned, listeners. <laughs> Stay tuned, <laughs> listeners. Well, thanks for listening to another podcast. Thanks for all your support. I'm going to say goodbye and just soak in a little bit more of Barnsley. And then I'll be travelling a little bit further up country, a little bit further north, back into Sunnit Silsden. Goodbye for now. And I'll be speaking to you on the next episode.